John chapter 3. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Almighty Giver. We're going to read the passage, make some observations, we're going to pray, and then we're going to begin. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. It says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. And as you know, uh, he was already in Judea. So when it talks about coming into land, they're talking about the outer parts of Judea. It says, Now John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. You can't baptize if there's no water around. And sometimes we as Christians have to go where the water is. You know, go where the land is plentiful where there's a lot of resources. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. You know, later on, John the Baptist actually gets beheaded by King Herod. And you read along uh, in your Bible and you find out more about that. Spurgeon had this one joke for those of you that know the story. He said that John the Baptist was the first Baptist preacher that lost his head to dancing. That was an old person joke. (laughs) Verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom he has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. You see, when God sent the prophets, he would always make them speak and allow them to speak according to the measure of faith that they had been given. But Jesus was the first prophet who was able to receive the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In this short story, we have John the Baptist. As you know, his whole purpose was to be a voice pointing to the message, to the word, Jesus Christ. And so John the Baptist, his his role was fulfilled. But he was still baptizing and people were still coming up to him to be baptized. And as that's happening, you have the followers of Jesus who are baptizing people. And so the followers of John comes up to John and is like, well, what's this all about? There's this guy named Jesus and he's baptizing people. What are we going to do about it? Because there's some competition here. And John says, well, my role is fulfilled. I'm glad that he's baptizing. That's my whole purpose is to point to him, not to myself. He didn't take that credit. And so there's a lot that we can learn in this passage, but why don't we pray first. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word that's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, 
The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Lord, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And that, that's why we want to cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Lord, we want to walk in your truth. We want to do the things that you're asking us to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would increase and that we would decrease, that we would be able to walk as you walked and point to you, Lord, not to ourselves. We know that we're going to obtain joy only if we fulfill the role that we've been given and not take your place. So, Lord, we humble ourselves tonight. We, we acknowledge that you are our Savior, and we're not going to go one step further without you going before us. So be with us this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. Did you know that many pop stars don't write their own songs? Sorry to disappoint you. People like Rihanna, One Direction, they don't write their own songs. Many of them don't. Shh. Believe it or not, I was, when I was still at Monmouth University, one of my professors asked me to write an article about this one girl who had a, uh, the song TikTok stolen from her by Kesha. And so she claimed that she wrote the song long before her and stuff. And so my professor was like, this is a pretty legit story. Like, if you get on this, this will make, you know, United States news. I don't know, world news. It was going to be a big story if I could get on this story. So I listened to her music, and I was trying to find the song that she said was stolen from her. And it was nothing like the song. So I was just like, forget this. I told my professor, and nothing came about it. So I guess I made a good decision. But if the song was stolen from her, she would deserve the credit. It would be pretty messed up if Kesha stole the song, made millions of dollars off this poor girl that's a no-name person. And that's what happens with a lot of local bands, actually. If you don't copyright your, your music, you have these bigger bands that kind of just do internet surfing, find the songs, copy them, and then copyright them, and make it their own and make money off of them. So it would be kind of messed up if they received no compensation. Even these people that write songs for Rihanna and all these other big-name people, they receive a lot of money for writing these hit songs. Sometimes, you know, you'll be in a relationship or you'll watch your friends in a relationship. You'll set your friends up, and then they almost act like you had nothing to do with it. They're like, what are you talking about? We fell in love all without your help. And you're like, I, I, was, I deserve some compensation. I deserve some credits in your byline or, or something like that. Um, so I have to ask us, when we think about God, do we rob God of the credit he deserves? Because you see, everything that we have as Christians is given to us by God himself. And that's the point that John realizes in this passage. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. But the world doesn't see this at all. There are a lot of people today that see themselves as self-made. Like everything that they do is of themselves and I create my own reality and I work so hard to get to where I am now. A lot of famous people will say things like that. A lot of athletes will train hard and thank all their sponsors. When you have the Grammys and the Emmys and all these different award shows, they'll thank certain people that helped bring them to where they are. And that's why people will just be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jesus had something to do with this. So thank you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, even if they don't actually worship him as their Savior. I don't know how many of you watched the Teen Choice Awards earlier, last, uh, the end of last year, with Ashton Kutcher. How many of you saw that, just by a show of hands? So he had this, this speech that he said, he said, don't live a life, you build one. He had this quote, 
every, everything around us that we call life is made up by people that are no smarter than you. So what he says, he looks at the world and he says that everything that we see is made up of people just like myself. So I, if I really choose it, and if I just set my mind to it, I can create my own reality. I can, I can bring myself to fame and do anything that I, I want to do. And this was the mentality of people like Pontius Pilate, who back in the day, when Jesus was on trial, remember Pilate told him, he said, don't you realize I have the power to release you or sentence you to death? And Jesus says, you would have no power unless it had been given to you by he who is above, the Father in heaven. See, people don't realize that everything you have comes from God in the first place. Realize that if you look at everything that you do have, you don't have control over where you're born. You have a, a choice over uh, your life coming into existence. Even your free will isn't a choice. It's the one choice you don't have. The fact that you're given all your choices. Salvation is given to you by God. Everything you have, your family, your friends, it's all a gift to you. But many people don't give God thanks. People fail to realize that even your abilities or lack thereof are custom tailored and chosen by God and given to you. We see in Exodus chapter 28 verse 3, it talks about gifted artisans uh, to create Aaron's garments, Aaron the priest. Uh, God gave them the spirit of wisdom. And so God gave the spirit of wisdom to these people that were tailoring all these different garments and parts of the tabernacle and temple. And he does that for people today as well. I like what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 9, verse 11, where the preacher observes, he says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. Isn't that true? Like the very fact that you get a big break doesn't depend on how hard you work. It's whether the circumstances align and people are like, oh, they pray to whatever God or they pray, you know, to Mary. They'll look at their stars, look at their horoscope because they know that they can obtain the thing that they really want just by hard work and hard effort. It has to be a gift given to you. But many people don't realize that. But if everything is a gift, we can't brag about anything that we do have. But isn't it true that's exactly the first thing that you think? I worked hard, and because I worked hard, I've obtained what I'm really looking for. You trained really hard for an event or a sport, and you, you made all the baskets, and you did all those things. It's because I worked really hard that I've gotten this far. It's because I, I worked so hard on my vocals that I, my voice sounds like it does now. And we're always looking for that key to success from other people, people that have made it and have been famous. And it's, what's really funny is if you look at famous people, they'll always, you can tell if they're, they're always, um, you can always tell the famous people that are really proud when they start talking about things that they know nothing about with authority. Like the person who's wealthy will just go around talking about like, huh, I know about flowers. Let me tell you something about flowers. They know nothing about flowers. But just the fact that they're wealthy means they're like, wow, I think, yeah, Donald Trump knows a lot about flowers. He must because he's wealthy. And that's the way that we kind of look at the world. We, we see successful people and assume that they know something that we don't. But that's not necessarily the case. It's a gift from heaven to them. 
1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, who makes you differ from another? And what, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Here's the first point. I want you to write this down. What we have is received, not earned. Can you say that with me? What we have is received, not earned. Thank you. If your parents um, decide to buy you a car, but let's say that you've been a jerk, you've been really mean to your parents, you've been a snob, and you know it. Like, you totally didn't take out the trash, you didn't clean your room, and you didn't comb your hair, and you didn't brush your teeth, and just like you're making your parents go crazy. And your parents are like, we're going to buy you a car. You definitely shouldn't conclude, it's probably because I'm a great person that they bought me a car. Your parents are just really nice. And in the same way, God sometimes gives us good things, and we automatically conclude, well, I must be a great person. But that's just simply not true. It's just because God is good. And as you've heard me say before, if today is a good day, it's not because today is a special day. It's because God is especially good. It's part of his nature to give us good things because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And here's what's so encouraging about this. The fact that we receive things and not earn things. The amount of blessing you receive is not dependent on your faithfulness. What you receive from heaven, what you receive from God is not dependent on how good you are, how faithful you are, how committed you are. So that means you don't have to worry about your eternal security if you're a Christian here today. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. I mean, how many of here, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you here have prayed the sinner's prayer a billion times, right? Because you always feel like because you sinned or you did something wrong, God isn't going to do something for you. God's not going to He's going to be like, well, now because you did that one more sin, I, you know, I'm, I don't know how I feel about you anymore. But Christianity is the only religion, the only time ever really, that the verdict is given before the performance. It's a quote by Tim Keller. God justifies you before you even perform. So it gives you that freedom to walk in his ways, to be good, because you know that you are made righteous through Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, God has a plan for you. He has works for you to walk in. And you are his masterpiece. He wants you to do the things that he's, he's given you. He's equipped you to do things. And the question is, are you going to be faithful to use it? Here's the second point. What we receive was planned by God. What we receive was planned by God. I want you to say that with me. What we receive was planned by God. That is so important to remember. Everything that you have is intentional. Nothing is is an accident. It's not like God's like, well, I guess I have no gifts left. I'm going to give him the, the gift of patience oh geez I mean sorry that's all I really had no God gave you the gifts that you have for a very specific purpose if you don't feel like you're a confident speaker you don't feel like you're a preacher or or whatever it is it doesn't matter because God has equipped you with something else and is no 
less important than, than something else. Do you ever wish that you were someone else? You ever say something like, well, I wish I was as talented as so-and-so. I mean, look at that person. Look how they're used by God. I wish I could be used in that kind of a way. I remember being in middle school, and I know this sounds really weird, but I had dreams that I was as good-looking as another dude that I knew. Because I was like, he's getting all the girls and whatever, and I have these Asian eyes. I don't know. I don't know what girls are thinking these days. But I'm sure, like, listen, I, I just tell you these things because I just figure if I, if I don't have any secrets, there's nothing to be embarrassed about because everyone knows them. Um, but I'm sure in some way or another, you guys have all felt like you don't match up to other people's standards. And there's that one person that you're like, if I only had that one thing that that person has, then I'll really be of use. Then I'll really be someone meaningful. Turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. I believe I've quoted this before, but I think it's so important that we go over this because although we're repeating some things, you need to be reminded of those things. It's safe for you. Romans chapter 12 in verse 3. Just five verses. Romans chapter 8, or 12, sorry. Romans 12 verse 3. Says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You've been given something, a measure of faith. For we have, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Listen, God has given you a gift Ask yourself, what is my gift? How can I be of use in his kingdom? Don't ever look down on the gifting that you have. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Because what you have received is planned for you by God. Intentional. Meaningful. He's planned good things for us long ago. Now, when things don't go the way that we planned... Why is it that we're more prone to complain rather than say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Why is it that we just get so frustrated, right? Something didn't go the way that you wanted. Like you were working so hard to achieve something and when it didn't pan out, you didn't win the game or you didn't get that girl or you didn't uh, ace that test or whatever it is. When things don't go the way that you planned, all of a sudden we start really just getting down on ourselves. I'm not good enough. I don't know why. But if you think about it, that's the only reason that we're down is because we haven't aligned our view with God's view. Remember verses like Psalm 84:11, he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Believing his promises that if God will use one person, he can use any person. We can't be bummed out thinking that we're useless. It just means that God has plans more suited to us. Don't think that you're useless. God has a plan. 
I don't know what it is necessarily. I might be able to tell you and have some insight into that. But that's something you have to ask yourself. And don't be so worried when a door closes because God's opening another door. Anytime God says no to something, he's saying yes to something else. I remember, this is silly, I remember back when I was in college, and you guys remember I wanted to be an actor, I auditioned for a Bollywood film. Yes. I went with my mom, and I, I don't know, I didn't want to go alone, so I had my mom go with me because I love my mom. And she listens to all my podcasts too. Hi, mom. And while we're doing this Bollywood audition, I'm there, and the reason I didn't get the part is because I didn't know how to dance. <laughs> yes. Because you know they like Bollywood films. Anyone see a Bollywood film, first of all? They have those random dancing scenes. I don't know how to dance, so I didn't get the part. But you see, like, if I let that control me, if I let that consume me and be like, well, I'm not a good actor, I'm not a good dancer, I really wasn't that bummed about it now that I think about it. But some of us let those things control us, Right? I'm not good enough. I wasn't, I wasn't talented enough to, to get that part. Some of you, when you're rejected by a girl or a guy, you feel like it's an attack against you, like you don't match up. But realize that God has someone suited for you, has someone made for you. Just like uh, Eve was made a helper fit for Adam, God has a helper fit for you. So when it doesn't work out with someone, don't be so worried, don't complain. Realize that God gives and he takes away for a purpose. So often I think our envy, our covetousness is fueled by social media, fueled by Instagram, etc. Why? Because we're always watching our friends, right? They, oh, their life looks so great over there. They're just frolicking in, in the fields. I wish I could frolic, but I'm stuck here in school and they're homeschooled and they can do whatever they want. You know, we're always envious of what other people have. But God has given you a plan. Don't despise it. Don't try to copy someone else's calling. Find out, figure out what God is calling you to do. C.S. Lewis once said this, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the other person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they aren't. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Interesting. You might be thinking, well, if God wants to use me, I need to have less homework. If God's using me, he needs to give me singing abilities. Or if I'm in the ministry, that's where people are really used. But that's a lie from Satan saying that you are worth less than someone else. Now, when you're sick, let's say that you have something going on in your body, you, have the, you think you have the flu, you have a stomach pain, or you have something going on with your heart, or you're just like, something doesn't feel right. You know that you're sick, and you know you have to see a doctor, right? But usually, the wrong thing to do is go on Web, WebMD, because the minute that you do, you're just like, oh no, I'm dying. It's like... It's always death. It's like symptom death. <laughs> so it's bad. Just makes you a nervous person. So when you're sick, you need to go to the doctor, right? Because you, you can't just go to the doctor and tell him, doctor, this, I went on WebMD. I know exactly what I need to do. It's because the doctor is the specialist. But even if you don't know everything that you need to do in order to be well, 
the doctor does, and that's what counts. So just as you shouldn't tell the doctor what needs to be done in order to make you well, we shouldn't tell God what he needs to do to make us useful. We can't go, come up, to, you know something's wrong. Like, God, I don't know if this is where I'm called. I don't know if this is my purpose. But you can go up to God and say, and this is my plan, and this is what we should do. I already figured it out. I went on WebMD. No, his ways are higher. He's like, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way, the Bible says. And this is exactly what happened with John the Baptist. He understood this. Listen, he's like, I understand that my role is to point to Jesus. That's it. So I'm not covetous of Jesus. Why would I be jealous of God? Like, my whole purpose is is to point to him. And so he found his contentment right where God had called him. And so in the same way, God loves you uniquely and has a unique calling on your life. Realize that anytime, everyone look up here and pay attention to this. When a Christian envies someone else, you're accusing God of playing favorites. When you envy someone else's life, that's a Christian, you're accusing God of loving one person more than you. And we know that's not true. God loves even the worst of sinners and died for us even if there are only one of us. Now, you might say, well, my situation's different. You don't understand what I've done. It's one thing if I'm doubting my calling, but what about a person who feels like they've ruined their life, that have made so many different mistakes? Well, that's where we can come to Romans 8, because Romans 8 is that passage for that person who feels condemned, for that person who feels so burdened by sins. It says in Romans 8, verse 1 through 2, you know it very well. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Later on, he says in verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. This is where we really have to get back to understanding what the gospel means. The gospel does not mean that you clean yourself up and be a better person so God can bless you more. The gospel means that God gives you grace, undeserved blessing. Even though we're we're rebels and we sin and we still do bad things, God still loves us. And he can turn your mourning to joy. As we talked about when uh, Jesus changed the water into wine, he always saves the best for last. Don't ever feel like your life is beyond repair, like it's too late because Jesus loves you and can turn even the worst of situations into the best of all things. Jonathan Edwards put it this way. God gives us good things. The good things we have can never be taken away. And even the bad things are used for good. That's the way our God works. Do we really think that we can foil God's plans? You really think that you're so in control that you can ruin what God has planned for you? That's kind of like an ant that's worried about like, oh no, I didn't store up food for the winter, so the ecosystem is going to be destroyed. It wouldn't happen. Why? Because the ant is so insignificant to the, the ecosystem, to the world. 
in the same way, do you really think that you are so in control that what you do can mess up God's sovereign plan? Now, I'm not saying that we don't have responsibility for the things that we do. Obviously, you do, and you face the consequences of your sin, but not even Satan or the powers of hell can ruin the plans of God. Third point. What we receive should not be wasted on self. What we receive should not be wasted on self. Let's say that your, your dad was uh, coming up to you and was like, you know what, I want you to go on that retreat, but I want you to sponsor someone else too. Can you just go to you know, your youth leader, go to Alan and give him some retreat money for, a, for another kid in a youth group? Just give him like, you know, 150 bucks to sponsor someone else. Like, Thanks, Dad. That's really awesome. And then on your way to youth group, you're just like, oh, chocolate. I want chocolate. $150. Yes. And you just go to the chocolate store and you just buy $150 worth of chocolate. And you walk into youth group in a chocolate coma. And you just spend all the money on yourself. And then there's little Johnny in the corner. He's like, I wish I could go on the retreat. You're like, too bad, Johnny. You want some of my chocolate? Oh, wait, it's in my belly. Don't, don't do that. That'd be silly. What you receive freely should not be spent on yourself. It should be used for other people. And in the same way, if everything we have is God's, then we ought to not use it on ourselves. In verse 26, if you look at it in John chapter 3, it says that these followers of John came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you was beyond the Jordan to whom you testified. Behold, he is baptizing in all are coming to him. So John's disciples sent some competition in the baptizing business, and it sounds kind of silly to us, right? Like, why are, they, why are they competing with God? This is bad. Obviously, I wouldn't do something like that. But we see it happen all the time. You see Christian bands, quote-unquote, playing on stage, and they'll say, we do this for Jesus, all the glory, Peter Jesus. And, like, the whole set, they're just cursing and stuff. But, like, at the very end, they give glory to God. Now, for us, though, here's a heart-searching question. Ready for this? To know if you are competing for glory with God. Here's a heart-searching question, so everyone pay attention. How do you feel when you're not being used? How do you feel when you're put on the sidelines? When you're not the center of attention? How do you feel when people don't come to you for help? When people aren't coming to you for spiritual guidance? When you're not being used in ministry, when you have to step down for a little bit, when things aren't going according to your plan, how do you feel? Because that's exactly what happened to John. But he says, my joy is fulfilled to see me be uh, placed in a lesser position so that Christ could be raised into a prominent position. You see, it's easy to say that you're playing for the team. Let's say that you're on a sports team. It's easy to say that you're playing for the, the whole entirety of the team when you're scoring all the points. But can you say you're playing for the team, you're rooting for the whole team when you're on the bench? It's easy to say that you're laboring for the kingdom when everything is going according to your own plan. But are you just using God's plan as a stepping stone to get what you really want? Your glory, your achievements, you know, that relationship, and you're kind of using God as a bargaining chip. I'll serve you as long as I get what I really want. But few things reveal your heart like a no from Jesus. Thus saith Tim Chaddock. Look at verse 20 with me. 
I love what John says here. Not verse 20. Because we're not even going over verse 20. I don't know why I wrote that. Oh, verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And I think we need to be reminded of that as we went through in the second study in the Leap in the Dark. That you are not the Christ. You're not meant to be the center of attention. You're not meant to be the ends. You're to be the means. You're to be the voice carrying the word, carrying the message. And that's why he must increase. Our lives are to be that voice. All right, we're going to hurry along a little bit now because I know we need to wind down. So fourth point. If we have received a calling, we ought to fulfill it. If we have received a calling... We ought to fulfill it. If everything that we received is from God, then we ought to use it in a way that's pleasing to him. I think that's reasonable. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's kind of like the reasonable thing for you to do since everything that God has done for you, he's died on the cross, he's giving you all these things, he's giving you life, giving you free will, giving you your choice, Don't you think you ought to live your life in a way that's pleasing to him? That's what Paul says in Romans. We're really just stewards of everything that God has given us. You know, there's the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, where the guy's giving to all these different people one talent, five talents, and the guy comes back ten talents and, and other things, but there's that one wicked servant who takes the talent and just buries it underneath the ground. And he says, well, I knew that you were a harsh master and stuff. And he was out of fear. He hid that one talent. And in the same way, some of us are like, well, I'm not really useful. I don't really have a gift. And like, look at that person, how they're used in a prominent position. And I'm not really, no, you have a gift. You have something, you have a charisma in the Greek. You have something you get excited about. You have something that you're thinking about. Like, if you're a person that's excited about prayer, that is a gift. A lot of us find it really hard to pray. And so you are to use that gift. And by not using that gift, you're missing out on God's calling for your life. Be diligent in what God has given you. You know, realize that it says in Matthew chapter 10 that even if you give a cup of water to little kids, you will by no means lose your reward. Every single thing that you do in the Lord's name has a reward attached to it in the kingdom of God. Don't despise the gift that God has given you. Fifthly and finally, fulfilling God's calling will fill our joy. Fulfilling God's calling will fill our joy. And I, I just know this to be so true because there's nothing like being, being in that sweet spot of God's favor. To know that you're living your life pleasing to the Lord and not being ashamed of sin, not being ashamed of like what you've done in the past, but realizing God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has delivered us in the past. He's delivering us and will still deliver us in the future. To know that you wake up in the morning and say like, you know what? I'm right before the Lord. My conscience is clear. Realize that, remember Paul, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. He says, I'm the chief. He's not just saying that exaggerating. He he really meant it. Like, I'm the worst person who's ever been alive. Yet he did not take his sin and attach it to his identity. Paul didn't say, I am the chief of all sinners, and that's why I can't do anything right. 
He says, I am the chief of all sinners, but God wants to use my life as an example, as a pattern to those who have not yet believed. If Paul can say that, why can't we? Why can't, why can't God use the things in your life that you feel like you can never be used in that area? Look at verse 29. It says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John is like, listen, I'm like the best man at a wedding. And when the groom's getting married, I'm excited. I'm glad to see him get married. I don't want to go marry the bride. That's not my business. Like, that would be really messed up if the best man goes and marries the bride. In fact, it was completely illegal back in those days. I don't know if it's still legal now, but it's just messed up. So John says, my purpose is to make sure that he has a good wedding. And by seeing him fulfill that role, I myself am filled with joy. He didn't step down out of obligation. He didn't say, well, I guess I have to humble myself because God's calling me to. He says, no, it gives me great joy to do that. And fulfilling God's calling in your life will fill our joy. And that's why he must increase. You realize that when God is everything, you are free to become nothing. That's a quote by Tullian Tavichian. He's a grandson of Billy Graham. When God becomes everything, you are free to become nothing. And there's nothing more blessed in this life than not having to become someone, not having to become God or become that role, become the Christ to other people. Because you realize at the end of the day, God is in, on the throne and you're not in control of the circumstances. You can't change people, but God can. So you have that freedom to, to be who you are in Christ and not worry of what people think about you. I just read this book last night called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Awesome book. It's really short. It's only like 42 pages. If you have the chance to read it, it is like, it's probably one of the best books I've ever read. But in that book, he talks about your ego. uh, And he talks about um, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he uses this weird Greek word, which talks about the ego being like this inflated organ. And so if you take this inflated organ, like in your belly, not like organ, like you play on the piano or whatever, This inflated organ. And organs, when they're inflated and about to burst, they're filled with air. They're empty. They're fragile. And he says that's kind of like how our ego is. That's how our pride is. It's empty and we're always trying to fill it with something else. And we're always at the mercy of other people's opinions. And so we're going around like, oh, I wonder what this person thinks about me. I don't know how this. And in our day, what we've done instead of, we used to think that the chief of all evil was just thinking highly of yourself. And now we think the chief of all evil is thinking lowly of yourself. And so when we see people committing crimes, when we see people on the news doing bad things, we're like, oh, it's just because they didn't realize who they really were. But listen, that's not the key. The key isn't thinking less of yourself when you're full of pride. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking of yourself at all. So the Christian life in order to see Jesus increase and yourself decrease, it's not saying, well, you should think bad about yourself and like talk down to yourself and like talk down your pride because that's not the solution either. You shouldn't be at the mercy of other people's opinions. Well, a person who truly is finding their contentment in Christ and what Christ thinks about that person will not be worried about what other people think and won't be worried about what you think about yourself either. Because here's the thing. You'll try to always fulfill the expectations of other people, right? And like, well, this person expects me to do this, and this person expects me to act in this certain way. And even if you don't fulfill that role, 
you'll have your own idea of what you should be doing and your own expectations. And when you don't meet that role, you feel even worse. Unless you set your, your bar so high of expectations for yourself that you have to stoop so low in order to fulfill it. But the key isn't filling those expectations or your own, it's fulfilling God's and not worrying about what people think, not even thinking of yourself, it's thinking about others and thinking about the kingdom of God. That's a true person who has found contentment in Christ, he has forgotten himself. So, as we decrease, our joy increases. It's not just thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. All right, here's some practical things to take away for today. Because basically the summation of this whole message is that God has given us everything we need to give him his proper place. And by giving God his proper place, our joy will be filled. God has given us everything we need to give him his proper place. And by giving him his proper place, our joy will be filled. Do you believe that? By giving God his rightful place on the throne, by decreasing so that he can increase, God will fulfill your joy. Here's some practical tips on how to see Jesus increase in yourself decrease. Well, number one is to humble yourself. The Bible doesn't say pray for humility. It says you humble yourself. It's, it's saying, you know, I'm going to take the step down and put myself in a position where no one sees me, where I'm not in that prominent position so that God can be glorified. Practical tip. What is your first thought in the morning? Are you guarding it? So many of us, the first thing you do is you go on social media. Immediately you're thinking of yourself. Immediately you're thinking of everything else but God. How about this? Start off your day allowing, allowing God to increase and yourself to decrease by putting your phone away, not going on your computer, starting the day, your first thought in your day to be worshiping God, praying it could be something similar, just being like, Lord, I don't know what today holds, and I don't know what you want me to do today, but I want to be open to listen to your spirit and what you want me to do. That is a very simple, practical thing, but you wouldn't believe how hard that is for us. You're, you're like, attach yourself on who texted me in the middle of the night at like four in the morning. It's a hard thing to do. But it's one way that you can decrease so that Christ can increase. Here's another one. How about... <laughs> Everyone does this. Don't point the finger. How about decreasing the amount of selfies on Instagram with Bible verses attached to it? For whatever reason, I'm sorry if, like, I think I, it's gotten to the point that everyone's doing it so I can say something about it publicly. I think sometimes we think like, well, I can post a picture of myself and unrelated Bible verse underneath it, so now it's okay because we're talking about God. But I don't know if that's really the case. Having God in a prominent position in your life isn't attaching you and, and your thing and the thing that you want to display. It's putting God on display. How about just posting a Bible verse, period, without a picture of you? How about doing something for the church or promoting a church event? How about doing something like posting a Bible verse on Facebook or something like that? There's many ways that you can humble yourself and put yourself in a position where you can glorify God without having to include yourself in the mix at all. How about texting a Bible verse to one of your friends? How about writing a letter to, to a friend with an encouragement anonymously without that person even knowing that it was you? 
These are all ways that we can see Christ increase and ourself decrease. Lastly, say no to open doors. That's a weird one. It sounds kind of weird for me to say that. Say no to open doors. What do I mean by that? George Mueller, as you guys know, was a man who ran an orphanage. And he didn't accept any money from, like, he, he never asked for money from any person. He relied on God fully for everything that was provided for him. And so there are amazing, miraculous stories of a milk uh, cart just breaking down right in front of his orphanage. And they're like, well, this milk's, milk's going to expire. So we need to empty this out and we have to give it to your orphanage. Like right at the time that he needed it, he saw God work because he, he said no to man-made venues. So I'm not saying that like if it's clearly from God to like shut down the door. But why don't you, if, if it really is from God, his plans aren't going to be foiled anyway. So it's okay for you at, at one time or another to say, you know what? I'm going to see if this is really the Lord leading. So I'm just going to say no and see if the Lord would open that door up again. So that's an okay thing to do because what you're doing is you're putting yourself not doing what you know that you really want to do and seeing if Christ is in it first and praying about it and seeking godly counsel about those things. So a couple of practical things. Let's pray.